Welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt. Excited to have you again listening in wherever you are, whether it be your car or work or running on the treadmill. We really appreciate the time that you spend with us here on the Propreneur Podcast, trying to bring you the best practices for you to run your business and today we have another professional. We always love to look at our professionals versus our experts. And we have professionals on today. Dr. Aaron Williams is uh, calling in and excited to have him. I've actually got to meet him in person, which doesn't always happen when it comes to our podcast, but we actually just got to spend some time together last weekend. Uh, Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dino. Absolutely. I'm excited about this, especially from what we were able to talk about uh, when we were together a couple weekends ago in Salt Lake City. Um, on your topic. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about you. Let's uh, give everybody an introduction to who you are, uh, where you're from, all the fun, gooey stuff. So um, I'm the orthodontist owner at High Five Orthodontics, and we're in Spokane, Washington. And that's on the east side, for those who aren't familiar with Washington all that well. Very opposite side of Seattle, very different uh, demographic, very different uh, climate and um, landscape but we love it here i'm originally from southern idaho um but of course all over the country for school um my wife was a nurse and so she put me through a dental school in iowa then we were in colorado oklahoma and back here to washington so so between you and your wife your kids never get a sick day off school they have no way right. to complain about anything that's right. That's right. <laughs> wow. So, uh, what drew you to Seattle or Seattle? Sorry, Spokane. If you're from Idaho, because obviously, again, like you said, two totally different climates. Uh, where you are is a lot much more deserty, right? Right, and that's actually similar to where I grew up in Southern oh, really? Idaho. Yeah, yeah oh, it's okay. very deserty down there. There's, uh, um, but it's not too. There's there's actually nice more trees here than in Southern Idaho where I'm where I'm from. So I, anyways, we love the climate. Uh, we love the, the people. I personally like the fact that I can drive home when I want to, but otherwise there's a little bit of a buffer. Not, they're not driving to me any, it's like everybody loved Raymond, you know, that show. Uh, yeah. If I lived that close to my parents, they, my mom would be across <laughs> the road walking in on a random day. Just, hey, how's it going? I'm here. So when you say everybody, you're not talking about people, right? Talk about family. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about family. Exactly. Yes. I love <laughs> I, my family. I really love do. it. But it's kind of nice when I'm like, okay, I'm coming for this week. That's Boom. right. Yeah. I love that. That's absolutely true. That's awesome. Okay. So one of the things I like to ask on the show is what is your uh, story and why did you choose a profession you did? You know, we have people who get in a car accident and they were fixed with from a chiropractor. So they love chiropractic or someone got their teeth knocked out. And so the dentist, you know, repaired all that. Do you have a story that brought you into orthodontics? Into orthodontics? Yeah. Into orthodontics. Um, when I was younger, I was sort of put on a pedestal by a lot of my classmates. Um, as an example for uh, somebody who's just friendly and kind all around. And I still remember this particular event um, and it's made an, an indelible impression on me my whole life. Um, there were a few of us who made it a, a particular goal to reach out to people in our school who weren't doing so well. Maybe it's emotionally or socially or whatever. 
And we thought of this particular person and said, hey, um, let's make an effort to give that person some attention. They just don't seem like they're doing so hot. And um, I was walking down the hall on my way out of school, and uh, this person, um, we'll call her Susie, just for whatever reason. Sure. Um, I don't think she had a lot of friends at the time. She felt kind of down on herself. And that's what made us think we should, we should give this gal some attention. And I did nothing other than say, Hey, have a great day, Susie. And that was it. And she stopped dead in her tracks and said, Oh my God, you know my name. And she was just like, flabbergasted that I took time out of my day to say hello. Well, anyways, a couple weeks later, me and this group of friends, we got this anonymous letter and it said, um, it was anonymous in that there was no name on it, but given the, the, uh, the details, we, we knew who it was. And it said, the other day I felt so just bad about my life. And, um, in fact, I was ready to take my life. And so I wrote a, a note, a suicide note, if you will, and went to school and I had every intention to fulfill that when I got home. But when I was at school, you, each of you, because it was sort of addressed to several of us individually, touched my life in some way, shape, or form. And in that particular case, I didn't do anything other than say, how's your day? And give them a little of attention. And when I started to look into professions, I originally started to look into it from a medical standpoint, like, what do I like as far as the biology and the science of it all? But when I learned about orthodontics um, and started to shadow and see how that um, interaction is between us and our patients, I think it's very different than it is with dental and other specialties, especially um, in that we can give them a special dose of appreciation and a special support uh, that I don't think they can get anywhere else. Now, I know that's not the only place you can give that, of course. There's lots of other really great professions, but when I was already on this journey to become a doctor, if you will, orthodontics really spoke to me. It was a great opportunity for me to feel like I could create an atmosphere where the patients were uplifted and um, given a level of importance. So that's why. Wow, that's uh, powerful. And, and, and thank you for sharing that story. That's very powerful and moving. And I know a lot of people can relate to just needing someone to say hey to them and I love that she said wow you know my name uh, I immediately thought about the importance of leaders to know not just the name of the team members but really know the people that you work on and that are coming in because you never know what's going on in their life ever right. and right. Uh, assumption is, is a terrible thing that's awesome thank you so much for sharing that I really appreciate that were there other options that you had thought about besides uh, uh, orthodontics or did you think about being a doctor yeah, I mean, and like a medical doctor? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, in a premature fashion, um, I always loved sports and medicine. So I was thinking mm -hmm. I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. I had aspirations to say, uh, I'll be like the team doctor for the Seattle Seahawks or the Vikings or whatever. Um, that was really cool to me back in the day. And then um, when I started to learn more about myself, it became more about less of what was cool and more about what really fit me and my personality. So 
while I hindsight is 2020, I do feel blessed that I was guided in a, to a profession that um, I enjoy and I really love going to work every day uh, rather than feeling like I'm trapped. So. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's so important to have that feeling and just the pure joy. Obviously, at the time of this recording, you know, with Kobe Bryant just passing yesterday, I was watching a few things this morning. And uh, it was an interview that he was giving and he just took to the audience and he was like, look, and he says, dude, if you don't love what you're doing every day, go do something else. Like right. it's just not worth it. Life's too short, you know, uh, you know, uh, prolific words for him for sure. Right. Well, um, one of the things that I love about hearing people's stories is obviously, even though we're also different, we have a lot of similarities around, what is that human connection? And even talking about, you know, the, as, as a young man thinking about other people, like how can I brighten somebody else's life and how can I make them feel a little better? That's so apropos in today's society as well with the bullying issues going on. And I wonder how often do you get to, or have you told that story? Is that story on your website? Uh, do you tell anybody about the story? I, not yet. It's, um, we, storytelling is an art and I use, I use that as sort of an inspiration and to demonstrate my personal why, because within my practice and my staff, um, I think it's important that each of them has a why statement and a reason for doing what they do. Um, so I do use it for my staff so that they understand my vision and my, my reason. Um, it will be on my website in an effort to demonstrate, um, that storytelling. But right now, uh, I, it's just not out there. No, not on my website. No. Yeah. I think it's a great idea for anybody, even who's listening. Like, how do you connect with people? How do you let people, I always love going out. I've probably said this before on the show. I've definitely said it on stage before about how going up to websites is like about us. And then it's like, all your credentials and a picture of you and your family in a field. And it's like, well, that's not really about us. That's, that's not that's, right. Right. It's like, but about us is that story. Um, I have a client, previous client before who he actually told the story of how he and his wife fell in love in dental school. It's a cute little story. And they put it up on the front page of their website. And it's, it's so darling to see. And of course it connects to people. Right. And, and like right. you said, storytelling is an art and to be able to connect with people on that. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. The difference, is, the difference to me is I go into, say, a cocktail party and every conversation is the same if it's always superficial. Yeah. Whereas if you go on like a double date and you guys spend hours and you just sort of ask those deeper questions, I think that's what most people want to hear. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Or we spend a couple minutes on a podcast and get to go deeper questions too. That's true. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. It really is touching. I think it back to my own story of, you know, what Orthodox did to, did for me. So I just really appreciate you sharing that. Um, let me ask you this. So you mentioned just a moment ago, something I think is really important that I don't think a lot of, I think a lot of people think about, I would even venture to guess that a lot of people have on their to-do list and they recognize the importance of it, but maybe aren't really good at the execution of it or the doing of it, which is finding out what your team member's why is, what their why statement is, really what motivates them and moves them. What made you kind of think out, and I do believe this, outside the box when it comes to developing your team in that manner? 
Well, I guess I felt like um, too often I was running into people within my own industry, other orthodontists, let alone my staff, who were questioning why they were coming in to work each day. Um, and it, it always, here's the thing. I started to notice this major conflict in people where um, it started earlier on. We did, I did this uh, five languages of love with my wife mm -hmm. and that's a really great book. If anybody has uh, never done that, it's a really good thing to, to know about yourself and your wife. So you speak the same language. So then I took that and I, I wanted to see what it looked like with my staff because a lot of the discussions with staff is, well, how can I get the raise? What's the, my next pay opportunity? And I said, well, let's just, let's just see what this looks like. So I had them take that. And interestingly enough, uh, along the scale of the five love languages, one of them is receiving gifts. So you could easily say that's the money component. That's, you know, things or sure. bling, whatever. And uh, it was like the last thing for every single one of my staff. Every single one of them, the very first was words of affirmation, uh, you know, or service or quality time. Those are like the top three for every single one of the staff. And I saw this uh, inconsistency where they're asking for raises. They're asking for, you know, money, 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 because they think that that's going to make them happy. And I'm like, well, you're telling me this is going to make you happy, but let's, let's talk about it. I, I don't know if you realize what really is going to make you happy. So that was one of the first things that really had me dive into, as you say, out of the box thinking into what brings joy to our team. So then I was, as I was diving into it, we watched uh, a lot of people have probably seen that short YouTube clip of Simon Sinek, where he talks about starting with why and the, the golden circle Golden circle. Yeah. And so nowadays we post that um, as part of our recruitment effort and say, if you're going to apply here, send us your why statement and Love watch it. this short video. And so they send that to us and we always make sure, does that align with what they're talking about? Does that align with what we represent as a company? And inevitably it does. Uh, otherwise we wouldn't be able to have them on the team. So I kind of chuckle a little bit under because I love that you send a possible applicant something to do besides just fill out the application and maybe do an interview, right? And tell them what your expectations are before you come in and to know that this is a piece of the, the hiring process. When I sometimes have people who we give ideas like this to, like, well, I mean, I can't ask them to do something before I hire them. I mean, I mean, that's going to be weird. And it's, it's like, well, why not? Like, that's so powerful because now they're walking into it and everyone knows What's the expectation, at least in this little part here? I think it's really powerful. Right. So we've talked uh, a lot when we were together about how, speaking of five love languages and that assessment, like you have done a lot of assessments with your team. And that's one of the kind of themes that I want to really focus on with our time here together is around the ways that you put together the different as, uh, assessments and how you find them and how do you use that information to help you be a better leader and to grow a better team? So um, some people may not need it. I, I can appreciate that, but I need it. I need it because of, I, I know who I am. I'm sort of an analytical guy. And I would, I would venture to say that a lot of us orthodontists are that way, whether or not we like it or not. I think that the, the, 
the educational system has pounded that into us. We look at so many uh, research articles and um, have taken classes on statistics and analytics. And I think just by nature of how we got to where we are, we already have an analytical mind about things. Um, the staff don't generally think that way. So sometimes they might um, bemoan the idea of taking all these assessments. They feel like it. So you got to be careful not to make them feel like you're judging them based on numbers. That's probably the, the first thing. Important. But the value that I see behind it is it gives me a big picture um, in a very organized, systematic uh, perspective. I can have them take these assessments and it helps me help them help me help them kind of thing. Because I, I know what, I know what they need so that I can give them the support whereby uh, if I give them a task and I say, Hey, I need you to do this. And their, their support network is not there to do it. Then, um, then they're, they're going to fail and I'm going to be upset that they failed. But by taking all these assessments, I, I try to analyze and think, um, you know, what, what, what do you need in, in, in terms of your personality to accomplish this task? And we make that happen. It works out great. Well, let's talk about the, the tangibleness of that, right? Is that the right word? Tangibleness? Right. The tangibility of that? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. Because I'm sure there's people listening going, okay, yeah, I've done those tests. Yeah, I, I've had them take the Colby test. And yeah, the, the, the Myers-Briggs test. Yep, done that. But there's been no change. Like, so what? I know that information. You seem to have taken it to another level where you're actually really using that information and trying to develop people through that knowledge and taking on that responsibility for yourself too. So how are you doing? Is there any specific examples that you can give us? Yeah. So um, for example, we do uh, performance reviews on a regular basis and it's one thing to have everyone take the same performance review in terms of skill levels. And that's great. But we always try to add in some unique customized questions on there that appeal that play towards their strengths and weaknesses as, a, as you find out on these assessments. Um, let me give you an example. One of the, one of the uh, assessments that we've done recently is how do you approach conflict in another person? Uh, it comes from the Crucial Conversations book and it talks about uh, are you a voider or do you, you know, are you abrasive? You kind of come straight at them or do you kind of stay away because you don't even want to talk about it? Right. So if we look on their assessment and say it determines that, hey, they are actually an avoider. And that's a weakness of theirs that they've self-identified from these assessments. We can say, let's put this on your, your performance review down here. Let's say grade yourself on this level and then we'll grade you and we'll see where we're at. And then, depending on where they fit on that scale, we might be able to find, um, we don't just brush it on the rug either. We say, you know what, if you have a, a weakness, we want to make it a strength at some point. And so let's set some goals in, in terms of making that better. So that's one way we, we do that. Um, so when it comes to like best practices on how say I'm a doc and I'm like, okay, I've never done an assessment before except for myself. I know how great I am. I'm just trying to get other people to catch up to me. What have you found has been the best, um, I guess, assessment 
that has given you the most usage for your team? Um, probably the that love languages that I was telling oh, you about. Interesting. Yeah. Very simple. It's super simple. And start with the free or simple ones and then go from there. Because obviously if you there's there's some that are great that uh, I would recommend uh, one's called the Colby A index, but that's like 50 bucks a pop. And then if you're trying to run reports between the, you know, different participants that costs money. So don't start big, start with the simple stuff and get to know uh, yeah. how it works. And uh, so, yeah, I'd say probably the love languages, they call it languages of appreciation in the workplace. Uh, for, to that, be that, yeah that one's very good yeah politically correct yeah yeah with dr white dr chapman yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's a good point right <laughs> yeah uh okay so i want to test you on something though because you're analytical you like to kind of really go over the data um when it comes to one of the biggest challenges with the love languages let's let's stay with that one is that i find out that my love language is you know physical touch that's my top one all by the way all the love languages are good. Let's just put that out and get that out of the way. But the top one is the one you really feel the most love with. But yours is gifts. And I don't care about gifts. It's my lowest one, like you said, with your team, right? As a leader, as someone who uh, kind of makes sense out of things, how hard has it been for you? Or could you, uh, has it in the past, I guess we'll just leave it there, has been for you to give someone something that you don't quite value in the same way. Oh, absolutely. That's very difficult. And it requires you to constantly try to think of it. And even when you do, you're still going to miss it or forget it or not give it to the level that they desire it. So here's the thing. I, when I present these things to the staff, I say, I want you to take these assessments. Um, so I, I ask the staff, I say, um, Please take these assessments, but don't think that just because you've taken them means that I'm going to master them mm, in a day. Smart. So, so it, it goes both ways. You've taken the assessment too, and you know now what your, you know, your language of appreciation is. So I need your help. And I tell this story about my kid. I came home, my little daughter, Kristen, she was four years old. And dad came home. She was so excited to see me and she ran and she grabbed my knee. And so I picked her up and I was holding her in my arms, but I immediately started to talk to my wife about the day. And I just, I had something that I wanted to talk to her about. And she's like, Hey dad, Hey dad, Hey dad. So Kristen's in my arms trying to get my attention, but here I am, I'm talking to my wife because you know, I hadn't seen her all day and I wanted to give her my attention. So I, after like a few seconds of, Hey dad, Hey dad, she grabbed my cheeks and turned him to her and said, hmm. dad, I need to talk to you. And this is my daughter just grabbing my attention physically. And I used that as a metaphor to my staff. I said, listen, I do have written down on a sheet what your appreciation language is. And I have all these other things on my plate too. I'm gonna do my very best to fulfill that for you. But you have to realize that there's a lot of you and there's one of me. And so there may be times when you're like, hey, doctor, hey, doctor, hey, doctor. And you're trying to, trying to communicate me with, with me on the language that you desire so much. I said, it's okay if you just say, 
doctor, I need to turn your head. And I actually have a couple of staff that I've asked them to do that for me. Like mm. I have some wonderful staff who say, Hey doc, I need to turn your head towards somebody. They're needing your attention. So, um, so give good. it to them, give it to them. And they need that attention in whatever language they need. So that's a, what a great story. And a great point that, you know, sometimes we got to tell people how we need them to treat us or pay attention to us. And we got to also tell people, I love that you set up the expectation of, I'm not going to master this just, you know, what yours is and know exactly how to do it just because I'm asking you to take the assessment. By the way, lest anybody think that, you know, you have four people you're doing this for. What's your team total right now? Uh, we're, you know, hovering around 25 staff right now. Yeah. So any of you that are out there going like, oh, yeah, well, it's good. You got four people. You can do that. No, you're like that's doesn't you keep those systems in place so you can grow to a bigger team members and you can have that opportunity there. Um, all right. I'm going to I'm going to say this because I thought it was really funny when uh, it's just an exercise you can do with uh, with your team or anybody listening can do the same thing. So I used to teach this in a marriage course that I did years and years and years ago. And one of the things that we used to do is we used to talk about the love languages and I have a different, a tiny little different spin on it. I have actually two more different languages or whatever. But at the end of the conversation, I would do an activity and I would say, okay, so guys, as husbands, I want you to write down like 10 things that would make you feel loved based upon your love languages. And, you know, I've, all the, all the guys, if yours is physical touch, it can't be sex, 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 right? You got to like mix it up a little bit. Right. And then ladies, I'm going to have you write down what are 10 things that would make you feel really loved. And it has to be true. It has to be something that, man, if my spouse did this for me, if my husband did this for me, it'd really make me feel loved within those love languages. Maybe take two or three of the different ones. So I'd have them all do this. And, and I said, okay, now you're going to explain what this means to you. And so you're going to tell the other person, the other person doesn't get it to get to argue back or say, no, I don't agree with that. You just get to tell each other why this, like this would make you feel happy oh, going on a, on a walk around the park, holding hands. That would really make me feel loved. Or you just tell me how much you appreciate me that I feel loved. whatever it is. And at the end of that, I would say, all right, now very carefully pass your list to each other and exchange your list. Now, when your spouse has any type of complaint or frustration or whatever about, or you don't know how to show your love to them, now you have the list of 10 things you can do. Go right. put it on your bathroom mirror. Go put it in your closet wall. Go put it on your uh, uh, refrigerator. But now you have the list. And I had one guy come up to me, and that time I think I was charging like $1,500 for a seminar or something. And he came up and he goes, I paid you $1,500 to make a list to know how to tell my wife that I love her and that she could do the same for me. And I went, yep. And he goes, worth every penny. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're welcome. You're <laughs> right. welcome. Well, because I think so many people um, just get in, you said earlier, you know, you shouldn't assume anything. And I think that every single one of us has at some point in our lives assumed that the other person on that end of the conflict should know better. I mean, they should know better. They, yeah. They've they they're smart they should they should but inevitably you think about you sit back and you think actually no they're not mind readers i mean you i have to communicate what my needs are and they have to communicate what their needs are and it goes for couples or staff or yeah. patients even you know 
and their perception um, is so different every every day is a new perception right like you never know right. what's going to change that i do a game with my teams called the perception game that at the end that's the point is that although they think they work together eight hours a day they're uh, I sometimes divide it by a clinic and admin. It doesn't matter. The results are always going to be the same because we have different perceptions and the perspective of what we're dealing with is our own. Even I say, you know, I've known my wife since I was 20, uh, since I was five years old. We've been married 25 years. There's not that much we don't know about each other, but when I get the most trouble in my relationship, it's when I assume stuff, when right. I just, just assume that that's how she's going to react. Let me ask you this, because uh, we had this conversation while we were at the at the meeting, and I had said um, one of the things that I think is interesting about assessments that not a lot of people think about is most people will take an assessment, and let's just say they take the DISC assessment, and they find out they're a high D, and then they'll tell everybody, well, I'm a high D, I'm a high D, and that's their excuse, right? It's like they'll be asked, to, well, I'm a high D, like, uh and yeah. instead of realizing that the point of assessments is one to find that out if you didn't know that already, which most people already knew that. Because most people take these assessments like, yep, that's exactly right, right? Every once in a while you'll be surprised. But the other side of the assessment taking is all the other things that you are low at or you aren't hitting top marks on, that's what you're supposed to be learning that's where you become a more well-rounded person where you look at and go, oh man, maybe I should look at the I or the S. Like that's where I should be looking. So if it's love languages, maybe I don't have to love getting gifts, but I have to build the muscle of giving gifts so that I can become better at it. Right, right. So, and so yeah, we try to emphasize that uh, very aspect because we always lead with, um, sort of a compliment sandwich. You know, we always lead with, okay. you are amazing in this area. And your assessment tells you that. Like, that's really great. I want you to always know that that's a good strength that you should, uh, you know, continue to, to use towards your advantage. However, your area, this area could use a lot of work. And so let's work on some goals on how to make that better. And then you sort of end with another compliment, like, but I know you can do it. So um, we do, we try to say, we try to use that same emphasis that you're describing um, to say, I don't want to dwell on the thing that you feel like you're bad at, but we need to address it. It's still yeah. an elephant in the room. That's so, right. And yeah. it's going to help strengthen them. It's just another muscle they get to strengthen. So right, that's awesome. Well, you know, I believe that every business, I, I, I love asking this to professionals who come on the show because every business, you know, most of the people have on, they're striving, they're doing well, they're, they're working hard, but every business has their challenges, has a challenge in one place or another. Let's talk real quickly about um, any areas of your business where you feel like it could be, uh, it could be something you think is common for a lot of people, maybe talk to other buddies or other people in the profession with you. It could be something that you feel is unique to you. But where are, where's a challenge that we can discuss uh, that's going on in your business at this time? So this is probably a challenge that a lot of us face, big or small, but that's the art of delegation. I mm. think, you know, um, when you talk to most entrepreneurs um, and you ask, why did you want to be an entrepreneur? And a lot of them say, well, freedom, freedom of schedule. I can delegate and I'm out of there. And the unique thing about us 
is that we do not have that freedom. I mean, the, the, the mere fact that we have our license tied to the product, if we, you know, first off, the, the dental boards will prevent you from leaving and sure. delegating 100%. Yeah. And secondly, that is your product every day, every day, every day. So you can't really have that freedom like a traditional entrepreneur. Sure. Uh, so, so then becomes the conflict. I still want to delegate, but I need to do it within the confines of my license and between and, and in terms of how well they can take this on themselves. So delegation is probably our biggest thing at the moment. Um, everybody has their, you know, the, the, the idea is if you find a problem, then find a solution. And we're working towards that solution now. But I think our biggest thing right now is delegation. And it comes from both ends. You know, it's me being able to be clear, like, here's the expectation. Here's the timeline here's a true clear vision on what I would like that to look like at the end. So that, that becomes my onus to get that across. And then on their hand, on their end, they have to receive it. It's like a baton through a, uh, through a relay. You gotta be like, I'm giving this to you with clear expectations and you're grabbing it and you're running with it. Now run. Yeah. Yeah. I was just on an interview earlier today and we were talking about this topic about, you know, kind of almost a rule if you could, where it's like, if I have something that comes to my desk or comes to my awareness and I think, okay, when, when am I going to fit that in? That shouldn't be the first question. Right. It should be like, who, who else can do this for me? Like who, uh, I, I mentioned this at my event, which is called um, the who, not how, right. right? Not how do I do this? How do I fit this in? How do I schedule this? In? Who can do this? Because majority of stuff i would even say that uh, the high majority of stuff can be delegated out as a matter of fact it's going to make you better at doing those things that can't be delegated out like you said they can't walk away you have to be there for that but there's so much stuff that you can pass on and if we really do look at our team members as leaders in embryo it's like okay knowing who can do what or what their capacity is at this moment to say all right not only do i want you to do this you report back to me. You tell me when you're going to report back. You tell me what the what the benchmarks are going to be, so that I know. And I'm going to measure you on your next. And I love that you guys do so many employee um, evaluations. But on the next employee evaluation, that's going to be a part of it. And on the flip side of that, I love telling team members, and it's always a big shock in their face when I say, "Hey, look, you want to know how to get a raise without ever, you know, being rejected." go to them with the stuff you've done, go to them with right. things like this. Like, remember that time you asked me to do this? Well, I created a whole thing like this and I did that and yeah. make the presentation. Don't just say, Hey, we were breathing the same air this last 12 months. So I deserve Great. a raise. Right. I deserve it. So, yeah. So uh, delegation is, it is one thing that I hear from so many people. I think everybody listening to this podcast can totally understand and relate. And um, it's that another one of those courses that they didn't teach you in school. Right. Right. It's like, where was delegation 101 that we could have well, just learned this? I mean, life doesn't even teach that to you. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it's really hard even as a parent to delegate in a, in a efficient manner. You're yeah. like, go do that. And then when they fail, you're like, I'll just do it, you know? And, and yeah. so we run into the same thing. Your church does the same thing. Yeah. Um, 
your yeah. school does the same thing. It's a constant um, bane on on society, and it comes up in different forms. They say delegation. I think it boils down to a lot of different things. Or they say, um, you know, accountability is a big word. Uh, but it, like when you, I don't know, just the art of delegation is something that we need to work on right now. So. Awesome. That's good. Are there any specifics that you're trying to put into place that anybody listening could try in their office too? Yeah. I mean, I've been reading a number of articles lately and uh, um, one is to make sure it's like a smart, uh, it's smart in that it's got a time commitment mm -hmm. to it. Like I'd like to have it done by this time. That's been a really important thing because you might say, um, uh, yeah, I want that done. And in your head, you're thinking one week and in their head, they're thinking one month. So, or a year or a year, right? It's very <laughs> quick. So there's a lot of doctors lately have been using programs like Asana and other mm -hmm. to do project lists. Yep. The nice thing about those is it forces you to clarify a number of things. Who's in charge. Just like you said, you have to actually assign it to a person. You can have followers. You can have people that are in, involved in the discussion but there's always one only one person involved as the person accountable it usually has a due date mm -hmm. and it usually has um a, a a description or your vision if you will and then throughout you can add to the team add to the channel in terms of how it's going mm -hmm. uh, but that tool has been really helpful for us and others um, we still run into the issue of um well, I don't even have enough time to put it on the Asana chart. So it's like you're creating a task to create a task. Yeah. That's, that's the hurdle that we're running into right now. I'm not sure I have a good solution to that, but the, the tool and the, um, the process is, um, it's there. It's there. <laughs> yeah. I, I say it half-heartedly joking, but also serious about it because I've seen it been, I've seen it done and I think it's very cool. Um, I even talk about in my book, I talk about the rock star effect, right? Of getting that, literally that personal assistant, like a rock star does or like an actor does that they don't have time to put on their schedule either, but just uh, have something like that and go, okay, Joan, put that on my, put that do make sure something like you're telling somebody as to do it for you. So you're not in the middle of having to do it. And I know a lot of, I've had a lot of doctors like, what, you mean somebody just following me around and doing that? And I'm like, yeah, somebody coming in and doing that. Like, yeah. what would be so crazy about that? Right. And so that's something I've, I've actually been thinking about that a lot, actually. Lately. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 I think it's a, it's a great idea to just have somebody else not to worry about it. I, I get caught up in that in my business, you know, where it's like, uh, do I have this stuff and I think, oh, I, I'll remember that. And then I'll get to that day and be like, what was that thing I was supposed to be doing? I can't remember it. Well, and what's worse is, you know, time is a valuable commodity, So, but so is energy. And when you have to think of the exact same task, just to think of it mm -hmm. twice, three times, you're expending both time and energy. When if you could just say, think of it once and delegate it right away and move on, you're going to be way more efficient. So it makes me chuckle because I've been thinking about this lately and I, I, I'm never going to do this, but you know, you look at the Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, um, even uh, Bill Gates does this to a point where they wear the same clothes all the time because right. they don't want to have to think about it. And I right. mean, it expends valuable neurons. Yeah. It sounds crazy, but it also 
<laughs> now that's one less thing I have to think about on a daily basis. Hey, I've got an easy one for you. Do you know, just shave yeah. your head like this. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, you, then you don't even have to comb your hair and it's like. I have, I have totally sat in jealousy sometimes like, all right, should I just shave it all? It's already, it's going already. You can tell. So I might as well. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a liberator. <laughs> You're going to wake up so refreshed. It'll be great. <laughs> One less thing I have to do. Well, Aaron, you're awesome. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. At the end of all of our shows, I like to ask uh, six kind of rapid fire questions. Just let people get to know a little bit more about you. Are you willing to play? Sure. All right. First question is, what's the one thing that you wish that they would have taught you in school? Um, it's not necessarily a skill per se. Um, it's just that um, the reality that you're probably not going to make everyone happy. And I desire that my personality is such that it hurts me when I feel like I failed at that. Mm -hmm. But just that reality check, like, you know what, you're probably not going to be a match for every single person, be it staff or patient or whomever. Um, just realize that do your best and you'll be, you'll be fine. What's the one thing that you think most doctors are missing out inside of their practice? What do I think most, most doctors are missing? Yeah, what they're um, missing, practice owners, what are they missing that's costing them money in their practice? So uh, that could be a double-edged sword, obviously. Um, if I were to piggyback off my last response, I think that some doctors are so intent on pleasing everyone um, that they please no one mm. because they're just so, you know, but, the, but the, the, the pendulum swings both ways, right? So yeah. um, there are doctors who just don't give a care. And so um, I would say, I mean, certainly could be finessed a lot more, but I think that the thing that most of us lack is the ability to find that that middle area where we're we're really truly caring about what people um, want and need, um, but then still finding enough personal comfort in you know that didn't work out. We're going to move on to the next one, kind of thing. I agree. I think it's really important. I think it's uh, deep down, it's part of the integrity process, right? Right. Just being real with that. All right. What's a book that you feel like every practice owner should read? Um, you know, I probably say some, I'm going to say start with why, because I already mentioned that mm -hmm. earlier. I think everybody should read that. Yeah. Um, some that have been more influential for me were delivering happiness. Um, and, um, you know, here's something I have a, I have a really good set of, I have a really good library that I enjoy and, um, something that actually your, um, your partner, Amy was mentioning to me the other day was, um, that when you're considering books to read, think as well into what audience, what the audience is. Here's an example. Uh, my wife, uh, she loves the, um, the Jane Austen books, right. you know, like Sense and Sensibility and all that stuff. My wife too. Yep. Right. And I was, you know, for years I've been like, uh, no, 
<laughs> thank you. I'll fall asleep if that's the case. But she thinks it's crazy that I read all these books about business. And so I'd say, while I do have a recommendation in terms of uh, start with why and all these business books of what I would love, I would say also try to find a book that you don't think you'll enjoy. And, but, but your audience might. And Got so, it. so Amy was, more. yeah, Amy was talking about how, listen, I have a lot of staff and I love them. Uh, most of them are women. And so just to be careful not to push topics or books on them that they just don't relate to. So right now um, she, at her recommendation, I've been listening to this uh, book by Rachel Hollis mm -hmm. and typically her audience is, is not analytical men. And I no. just thought I've been getting a lot from it because it's been helping me to perceive it from a different angle, the same content, the same motivation, the same inspiration, if you will, but in a different way. Uh, so I would just say, encourage you to not only uh, eat the, you know, spend your time on the books that you enjoy, but a little bit of time on the ones that your audience would enjoy. It's a great, great advice and, and great example. You know, Girl, Wash Your Face, obviously, Rachel Hollis. And, and you're just going to have a different perspective. And that perspective is going to help you communicate a little bit better. I love it. So I guess you're going to have to start reading some Jane Austen stuff, too. So Actually, um, actually I did in a way. Good. I read, I read um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, I did. Uh, so I, that was my <laughs> intention to try to learn about it. But then, you know, there's zombies in the background and there's all these. I even got Shannon to watch the movie with me. No way. Like, hey, That's pretty hey. good. And she was like, and like literally uh, the 10 minutes in, she's like, oh my gosh. I'm like, but. Yeah. yeah. But, no, my wife but, listened to parts of the audible version with me and she was just cracking up. <laughs> She was, she was awesome. appreciative that I made the effort in the first place. But That's yeah, was, right. So That's I did. Awesome. I have. Yeah. In a way, I have. Is there a way if uh, people listening wanted to reach out to you, ask you questions, is there the best way that they can do that for you? Yeah, absolutely. They're welcome to email me at drwdrw at shareyoursmile.com. And we nice. can start a conversation for sure. Nice. Love it. Uh, okay. What's the best advice you've ever received in life or business? Uh, best advice in life or business. Hmm. So um, I think it's, it wasn't necessarily advice. I'll probably spin it. I was talking to you about this earlier and that is just sort of an, an epiphany or a realization. Um, when I was younger, I always looked up to my dad as the know all be all um, he had an answer for everything and there was no problem that he couldn't solve. And I would always get frustrated at myself because I'm like, how come I didn't see that answer? How come I didn't know that? Hmm. And it dawned on me, you know, in my mid twenties, as I was going through a lot of life um, issues, if you will, um, that actually when my dad was this age, he didn't have all the answers either. And he still doesn't even have all the answers. He just has, you know, so many more years ahead of me. So um, not necessarily advice, but maybe just a realization that I would probably share with anybody, which is, um, you know, you are where you are and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's good to always look forward and say, how can I be better? And look up to people like my dad or mentors that seem to have all the answers. 
but just realize you're in the right spot because you've worked to get there and you still have years to go of experience. Um, so yeah, just be the advice that um, don't get frustrated. Just realize that it's a journey and you're at this part of the journey and just keep going. Love it. I think that's so important. It is true. It's like you are where you are. Don't, don't envy. Don't uh, worry about it. It'll come. It'll come. And it's hard to be patient sometimes. It's uh, hard to be in that place. But man, I appreciate that so much. Aaron, this has been uh, great information. Thank you so much for being a part of the show and for sharing what you have with people from your touching story of when you were a, a teenager all the way up to just that advice right there. I really appreciate it. I know that our listeners would appreciate it too. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dino. Absolutely. It's been a joy. And thank you everybody for listening in on the show and for all your efforts. Thank you for making the show what it is and for subscribing and for sharing it with those that are around you. If you have a friend or a colleague that you think should be hearing not just the message from uh, Dr. Williams, but from everybody else as well. I think it's so important. So please make sure that you subscribe and share it with those people around you. And thank you again for listening to the Pro Corner Podcast, where you know that our goal is to help you be more proactive, productive, and profitable in all areas of your life and business. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.